0: Have your Bibles. Go ahead and make your way to the book of Lamentations. Uh, You might be like "Lemahu," right? Um, It's just a fancy word um, for a collection of laments. It's right after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations are the laments of the prophet Jeremiah, and the book of Lamentations is a collection of five different poems. And the book of Lamentations is actually really a work of art in the Hebrew. Um, you have five poems, each is written as an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Every verse starts with a new letter, so each chapter has 22 verses, because that's how letters are in the Hebrew alphabet. The exception is chapter 3, which is a triple acrostic, which means each letter has three verses associated with it, which is why it has 66 verses. It is also the most important chapter, What Jeremiah is probably trying to show you is that he's describing suffering from A to Z. See, this past week kind of really turned out to be an unexpected week. I was not expecting to preach, um, but with Pastor Micah um, having to be hospitalized, um, I reached out to him on Tuesday, and I knew it was serious when he was like, yes, I need you to cover. Um, So we're just praying that he recovers from his India sickness, Um, But today, uh, he has me starting off our Christmas series entitled, A Thrill of Hope. And that hope was born of a virgin some 2,000 plus years ago, and that is why we celebrate Christmas. Amen? Amen? Amen. Because Jesus was born fully God and fully man by a virgin in the small town of Bethlehem in a manger because there was no room in the inn. The wonders of wonders that God became flesh. The whole Bible points to Jesus, and it starts in a manger, but it ends with an empty tomb, right? That is what we celebrate if you call yourself a Christian, and I pray that each and every one of us calls ourselves a Christian in here, but if you don't, I pray that today is the day that you will, because the Bible is written roughly over a 2,000-year period by 40 different authors from three continents in three different languages, and it all points to one person, and that person is Jesus and I love the people that love to point out that December 25th wasn't actually Jesus' birthday. Like, they're doing something. Like, they got one over on the Christians. Like, oh, December 25th isn't actually Jesus' birthday. Like, we know that. It was originally a pagan holiday. And instead of celebrating a pagan holiday, they started celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. And as Christianity grew, so did the celebration of Jesus' birth. And that overtook the pagan holiday. That's why we it on December 25th. And if those people aren't careful and they don't stop whining about it. We're also gonna start taking other things. We'll take like Shark Week and Toyotathon from them too and turn those into Christian holidays as well. That'd be kind of fun, right? Now that you know that fact of while we celebrated on the 25th of December, here's some more interesting and fun facts uh, involving the Christmas season. When the candy cane was invented in Germany, it was made into a J for Jesus. The red stripes symbolizes his blood. Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. It was also the first song ever played in space. The first Christmas celebrated on American land was in 1539 in Tallahassee, Florida. There were no trees or presents, just a Christmas service. The abbreviation X in Xmas is not an abbreviation. It actually stands for chai, which means Christ in Greek. The reason we give presents during Christmas is to symbolize the gifts given to Jesus by the wise men. Franklin Pierce was the first president who put up an official Christmas tree. One in three men, look around, two of y'all are going to wait until Christmas Eve to do your shopping. And the last one in my personal favorite, it reminds me of my younger brother, it is a tradition in Japan to eat KFC for Christmas. Orders must be placed two months in advance to get it. But this is really my favorite time of the year. All the lights, the music, the time with the family. One of my favorite new traditions is the elf on the shelf. Um, It's like a little babysitter for Judah. (laughs) Praise the Lord, hallelujah. I do it every year. That little creepy doll keeps my son in line, all right? But if we're not careful, we miss the most important part with all the hustle and bustle going on we don't take time to understand and celebrate what Christ did for us. See, there's a beautiful song that we sing around here in worship, uh, especially in the second service, and it starts out, and I'm not going to sing it because there is a reason Morgan will not give me a microphone. Um, even though I ask for one literally every week, um, I can't sing. I, can't, I can hit the tunes, but I hit all the tunes when I sing. Brother Frank knows what I'm talking about. He just heard me. Um, and he goes, I have this hope as an anchor for my soul, through every storm, I will hold to you. And then the chorus goes: There is hope in the promise of the cross. You gave everything. The, uh, you gave everything to save the world you love. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable. See, we have hope because of Jesus. And you know, like, not because. Of this season, do we celebrate Jesus? We should celebrate Jesus every day. But it is an exciting time of year. Again, it's my favorite time of the year, and it's not because of the presents. Even though I love watching my son open up his gifts, it's not the lights and watching the Christmas movies like Die Hard. Um, it's because we serve a God that got off of His throne, was born in a lonely manger to save the world He loves, and we see this hope of Jesus all throughout Scripture. In the Book of Lamentations was which was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It's describing the results of Babylon's destruction to Jerusalem in in grave detail. It gives us this beautiful description of who God is in verses 21 through 24, and I want us to read it together. Uh, But before we do, I would ask that you stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. In Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, the word of the Lord. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we need you, Lord. May we see our need for you this day, that you are the only hope of the entire world. You are the only hope in our life. Speak, for your servants are listening. We love you, we need you, we praise you, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. So in chapter 3 of Lamentations, we're going to see a bunch of things, but two things I want to point out is the prophet's pain over what has happened in Jerusalem and the Lord's promises. I didn't read all of chapter 3 because it's 66 verses. Um, but I just want you to listen to some of the the wording in chapter three, and it starts with, I am a man who has seen affliction. And this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. Jerusalem is experiencing the wrath of God through Babylon. He has driven and brought me to darkness. He turns his hand and he's speaking about God here when he says he, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged. He has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled about me. He has made my chains heavy. He shouts out my prayer, or he shuts out my prayers. He has blocked my ways. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait, a lion waiting and hiding. He turned aside my steps. He has made me desolate. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. See, the rod of discipline, church, was bad enough but the darkness makes it worse see in scripture darkness is often a picture of defeat and despair the hand of god was against israel at this point Uh, jeremiah felt confined he was walled in he was hindered by chains when he looked up to pray he felt like god had slammed a door on him god was like a bear and a lion a lion was the symbol of babylon God was like an enemy, and his arrows were aimed at his servant. And after all of that, after Babylon conquered and destroyed, Jerusalem and the prophet's words were fulfilled. You would think that the other Jews around him would have respected him. They would have apologized to him, or they would have mourned with him. But they actually laughed at him, and they sang disrespectful songs about him, according to verse 14. Essentially, they were like the other reindeers with Rudolph. Right, they used to laugh and call them names. Um, See, the Jews were mocking their own prophet. Most Jews in mourning would put ashes only on their head, but Jeremiah covered his whole body in ashes, according to verse 16. A familiar word among the Jews is the word shalom. It means peace, prosperity, health, well-being. Shalom was far from Jeremiah. You ever been there, church? When God seems far away and everything feels awful, Nothing you are doing seems to be working. Your prayers seem to fall on deaf ears. This is exactly how the prophet felt, And I need you to learn something very important. God chose to include all these details in the Bible. Okay, Because there are times you feel this way, and you should probably quit denying it. See, God could have edited all of this out. In fact, he could have chosen not to include this book at all. God could have been like, no, we're not going to include this one. A book called Lamentation where a prophet doubts me and yells at me? I don't think so, right? Let's include another book of Zephaniah, right? His stuff is a lot more cheery with the whole dancing out with you with love. Uh, People like that. No, God put this book in there for you who suffer because he knows how we feel. And it's okay to express that. In fact, I tell you, you need to express that. You can, God can handle your doubts, He can answer your questions. He can handle your frustrations and your disappointments in life. In fact, I'd tell you that real faith often grows through this process of questioning and being unable to see. See, Jeremiah is saying, God is cursing me. My hope is gone from God. God is like a bear who mauls me. He knows this is not true, but he's being honest about he feels, but he ultimately knows he has hope. He has hope because he has the Lord. And some of you, your faith is so shallow because you've never really struggled through these things. You have a domesticated God who gives you purpose and makes you feel warm and fuzzy, but you don't crave him. You don't stand amazed at him. You don't passionately follow him. Deep struggles like this one are one way of God changing that. Real faith grows out of honestly expressed doubt. What you'll find is that God's grace and love don't cloud over the doubt. They go deeper deeper than the doubt until you have deep questions and deep pain you'll probably not have a deep experience with god so god lets you have some of those so you can encounter a god whose love and wisdom and glory are deeper than the pain and that is the prophet in this moment because he lament his laments turn into words of worship because everything changes in verse 21 if you look at your bibles if you have the bible You see the word but, and if you have a Bible, I would underline that but, because it changes everything. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. When Jesus seems to be at its worst, or when life seems to be at its worst call, call this to mind, just as the prophet Jeremiah did. One of the greatest enemies of hope is forgetting God's promises. Reminding is a great ministry in your own life. That is why Peter and Paul wrote letters for this reason, according to Romans and 2 Peter. The main reminder is the Holy Spirit. But don't be passive. You are responsible for your own ministry of reminding. And the first one in need of reminding by you is you. Okay? The mind has this great power. It can talk to itself by way of reminder. The mind can call to mind and if we don't call to mind what god has said about himself and about us we flounder oh how i know this from painful experience don't wallow in self-talk of godless messages i mean the messages in your own hand or your own head i can't she won't they never it has never worked things like that the point is not that these are true or false your mind will always find a way to make them true unless you call to mind something greater see god is the god of impossible Reasoning your way out of an impossible situation is not effective as reminding your way out of it. And that is exactly what Jeremiah did. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Or excuse me, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now that you better understand what Jeremiah is going through, Now that you understand, everything he loved was taken from him. He was losing his home. People were mocking and laughing at him for talking about the Lord. He is in utter despair. His life has changed forever. He still had hope because he still had God. He can rely on the Lord, and we can lean into the Lord as well, and we can trust in the Lord as well. Because A.W. Tozer once said, the most important question you can ever ask yourself is what do you think about when you think about God? Like, is he some mean bully with the magnifying glass, and we are the ants, and he's just tormenting us? Is he the genie in the bottle that is going to give you health, wealth, and happiness? What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? In our time together, I want to cover three truths about the hope Christ offers us. So when you think about God, you will think about these things. And the first thing is that when everything seems against you, Remember, his mercies are new every morning. Shane and Shane has a song called His Mercies Are More, and it goes, his mercies are more, stronger than darkness, new every morning. Our sins, they are many. His mercies are more. Mercies, this Hebrew word is used about 250 times in the Old Testament. It refers to God's gracious love. It is a comprehensive term that encompasses love, grace, mercy, goodness, truth, compassion, and faithfulness. Praise the Lord for his mercy, because if we did not have a merciful God, we would not be here right now, right? We would be in hell for all eternity. Praise the Lord for his mercy, because if we did not have a merciful God, salvation would not have come. See, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 said, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 5:10 says for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the son or by the death of his son much more now that we are reconcil- reconciled shall we be saved by his life. I want you to notice the language in these two verses. While we were dead God sent his son. While we were still enemies of God God sent his son to die on the cross. We did absolutely nothing to deserve salvation. Now, in our view, it's the best trade ever, right? We get to be in relationship with God. It cost us nothing. From God's view, I would still argue that he would believe that it is the best trade ever. He did it because he wanted to be in relationship with us, and he wanted to glorify himself through it. But in our minds about God's view, we would have to think it is the worst trade ever. Like, it's worse than the Broncos trading for Russell Wilson if you follow football. I'm sorry I mentioned football, Brother Steve. But they gave up two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and $250 million for a guy who was playing quarterback like I would play quarterback professionally. But still, I would say that from God's view, it would still be the best trade of all time because it was his plan from the very beginning. And while we were dead enemies of God... God the Father gave us Christ the Son, who willingly went to the cross for each and every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord. And then he goes and he dies and he's dead and buried for three days. But the Bible actually said it was impossible for him to stay dead. It was impossible for him to stay dead. Wrap your head around that. Death can't hold down our God. It's impossible, it's absurd, it's unfeasible. It can't happen. It's not in the realm of possibilities that he could stay dead. But because he went to the cross as the sinless, spotless lamb and conquered death, you can have salvation by calling upon the name of the Lord. The greatest gift in your entire life is the gift of salvation. It's not whatever you're going to get this Christmas. I'm sorry to disappoint you. And I hope some of y'all get, I hope all y'all get amazing, thoughtful, wonderful Christmas gifts. But nothing you get this Christmas can save your soul. And some of us in here have a Christ-shaped hole in our hearts, and we think all that stuff is going to fill it. And the problem with the gift of salvation, some of y'all treat it like it's a Christmas top, right? You're excited to get it, but you only wear it once a year. The rest of the year, it stays in the closet. You thought it would be a worthwhile experience. You thought it would make life better. When you came to Christ, you were expecting health, wealth, and happiness when you said a prayer, and all your troubles would instantly go away when you came to know the Lord. Your annoying neighbor would move, or your wife and your husband would immediately agree with you. 100% of the time, your kids would stop arguing and questioning every single thing you tell them to do. I have a six-year-old. I know this to be true. I'm pretty sure Judah's secretly going to law school the way he argues with us. But, But that's not the way Christianity works. Right? We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. Right? I think we need to hear that again. We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life, church. And once you realize that he is better than life, your life immediately becomes better with that perspective. Because Christ isn't just a list of priorities in your life. Like uh, in the Shema in Deuteronomy uh, 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That doesn't mean one on like a list of priorities, right? He's not number one or two or three. He's actually what you, he would be the paper in which you write your priorities on. Okay? Everything that we do has to be a, a revolved around that the Lord is the most important thing in our life. And he is first because he went first for you and for me. And as a response to what he did for you and for me, we should respond by being obedient to him in and through our lives. Your only need is Jesus. He is your only hope. And praise the Lord, his mercies are more. Because remember that when things get hard and things get hard. But also remember that great is his faithfulness don't y'all hate it when you're watching a TV show and you're wondering how they're going to wrap it up in the last three minutes and only to face the dreaded words to be continued. My youth do not understand what I'm talking about because, you know, once, you know, with Netflix and Hulu and all the streaming shows, they can just watch it all at once. But back in the 1900s, we used to have the ha- have cable, right? And it would play the shows on different networks and You'd have to watch the shows when it came on at certain times, and we couldn't just watch it when we wanted. There was no rewinding or fast-forwarding or stopping, and if you had to use the restroom, you waited till the commercial break and hope you got back in time. Um, And some of those shows would end with the dreaded word, to be continued. And then you'd have to wait a week to find out what happened. It was the worst. But for God, or excuse me, but for us, God's faithfulness has those three words written all over it, to be continued. And it's not every week, it's every single morning. Praise the Lord. What's new? God's faithfulness. His firmness, his fidelity, his steadfastness, his steadiness. You can count on God to come through. I love the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Because there is so much truth in that. See, John MacArthur has said that the bedrock of faith is the reality that God keeps all of his promises according to his truthful, faithful character. Every promise that is found in Scripture, God kept or God is going to keep. And that is why we can rest assured that Jesus is coming back. Now, Wayne Grudem, which uh, my brother's in discipleship, I believe uh, Brother Steve just had a shiver go down his spine by hearing that name, because we just spent the last two years walking through this book called Systematic Theology. And if you ever want to feel dumb, I would encourage you to read that book. But he said, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Praise the Lord, it relies on God, not us, to be faithful. Because if it was up to us to be the faithful ones, we would would have screwed it up. We've already screwed it up. We would have screwed it up again. Because there have been times, at least in my life, where I took God off his throne and put something else up there. Maybe you can relate to that. Have you ever made a promise that you cannot keep? Because D.L. Moody pointed out that God has never made a promise that was too good to be true. Praise the Lord for that. We can trust in the Lord because he is trustworthy and he is faithful. This passage, is, passage emphasizes daily living. Great is thy faithfulness. We are reminded to focus on God's faithfulness every single day, every morning, to renew our hope and to encourage our souls. There is an emphasis on meditation, meditation, which means taking time to sit in silence and reflect on the character of God. By regular time of focusing on God, we will actively place our hope not on earthly circumstances, but on on an unchanging, faithful character of the God we serve. We live in such a busy world. It is full of distractions. There is always something to do, whether it's work or some responsibility, taking a child to a practice or doing one of the thousand things that need to be done around the house, if we're being honest, we probably have a hard time finding times to sit in the quiet with God. Because when we do have a free moment, we are binge watching some television show or we are mindlessly scrolling through our phones. And if you can manage to find time every Saturday to sit around the house and watch college football, and a lot of us spend our time watching sorry teams like the Florida Gators, Ain't even fun to watch them anymore. But if you can time fi- if you can find time for that, I got news for you. You can be intentional with your walk with Jesus and make quiet time with the Lord. God wants to be in relationship with you. I hope we get that. He doesn't send his son to die on Cal- Calvary for you to have a get out of hell free card in your back pocket so you can keep on living like every other American in this nation. Being an American doesn't make you a Christian. I hope we understand that. All right, he sent his son to make you holy, not holy like God is holy, but holy like and he has set you apart. God has set you apart from the rest of the world to be a city on the hill, to be the salt of the earth. And if you aren't in relationship with him, I got really good news. God is so faithful that anyone who seeks him can find him. Faith is a gift and even a gift must be open to be enjoyed. As we implement our faith, we begin to realize more and more and more about God's faithfulness to us. See, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And in 1 John 1.9 we are told if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from the unrighteousness. With absoluteness we can have confidence that God will save us and that God will forgive us. Without his ability to do so he would not be God. He is the only true God and the God's no other religion uh, in the world can promise that. The gods of no other religion can promise salvation through Jesus. It is all what, in, in this world, the other religions, it's what they can do for their God. In Christianity, it's what God did for us. All right. Since he has made this promise and we know he cannot break his word, we know that it would be contrary to his nature and that God cannot lie. Our God is a faithful God, and there is no other that can do all he can and has done and will do. And not only is he faithful and merciful, but he is our portion. And that's our third truth. Portion is a word that the Jews used to refer to their allotment of land. The inheritance passed down in a family from generation to generation. The promised land that God gave to Israel, this is our portion of it. This was your family's treasure. It was their prize their portion from God. Jeremiah is saying, I don't have any land. The Babylonians took it, but God Himself is my portion. God Himself is my treasure and my prize. And if tomorrow comes and you were to lose your job, lose your house, lose your car, or even worse, you were to lose a loved one, would you still be able to say that God is my portion? Would it be well with your soul? We've talked about that hymn several times. It is well with my soul um, several times throughout the years since I've been here. Um, but I want to share the backstory story to this um, hymn, if you're not familiar with it. Horatio Spafford knew something about life's unexpected challenges. He was an ex- a very successful attorney. He was a real estate investor. He lost a fortune in the Great Fire of 1871. Around the same time, his beloved 4-year-old died of scarlet fever. So he decides he's going to take his family on a vacation and that it would be good for his family. He sends his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them as he was about to finish some important business. However, while crossing the Atlantic, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than two peop- 200 people lost their lives, including all four of his precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy, and upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that, be- that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. At one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of what happened to Horatio's family, summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck occurred. And as Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and his mind, and he wrote them down, and they have since become a well-beloved hymn. And the words he wrote were, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Perhaps we cannot always say that everything is well in all aspects of our lives. There will always be storms to face. And sometimes there will be tragedies, but with faith in a loving God and with trust in his divine help, we can confidently say, it is well with my soul. Because in scripture, when Job lost everything, he lost his family, he lost his business, his home, his health. His wife literally told him to curse God and die. But instead, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say that? I pray that you can, because God is greater. God is greater than anything you have. God is greater than anything you have lost. Whatever is coming in your life, whatever is happening in your life, and you may go, well, hang on a minute there, Pastor. You don't have any idea what I've done, and I don't, but God does. And he still went to the cross for you. If you call upon his name, God is greater, because he is our portion, and he is our prize. If the Lord is our portion, then we are strengthened by that, which cannot be used up or destroyed. God is our eternal source of strength, hope, and blessing. Our circumstances change, and so do our feelings about them. And let me tell you, the dumbest advice you can ever give or ever receive is to tell someone or for someone to tell you to follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Christians, you don't follow your heart, you follow Jesus. Because the Bible actually says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We don't follow our hearts because our hearts are dumb. We follow the Lord because he is always good, he is always loving, he is always merciful, he is always kind, and he never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can rest in that assurance. To build a life on the feelings of your heart is to invite constant unrest and disappointment. But to build on the cornerstone, the great, unchanging, eternal one, is to have peace and confidence and a hope. I hope that is sometimes too difficult to put into words. I hope that is an anchor to our very souls. That when storms come, you are anchored to the one thing that will not fail you. The Lord will never fail you. Every person in this room has a need for Jesus because he is the only hope in this entire world. There is only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus and what he did on the cross. Do you know him? you know him if you look at yourself you're going to be depressed if you look at your circumstances you're going to be distressed but if you look to the Lord you're going to be blessed we have the hope of the world and I pray you see your need for him stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer (laughs) father I pray that we have seen our need for you Lord, we need you more than anything else in this world. Lord, we need you. And when things are going bad, Lord, we need you. And when things are going good, we need you, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. Thank you for this time. Finish this time, Lord. If there's anyone in here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, let today be their day of salvation. Let their eternity be changed for forever. We love you, Lord. And we praise you, amen.